episode of Chatty Broads with Becca and Jess. Hello, broads. The MLM broads are back, baby. (laughs) MLM broads are back. The boss babes are back. The boss babes are back. And we're actually here to tell you about our newest um, opportunity, business Mm -hmm. opportunity. Mm -hmm. And we think that you guys should really get in on it if you want to have independent, you know, what if you want to be financially independent. Financially independent. Um, generational wealth we uh we're starting it's not a pyramid it's a triangle so don't yeah. worry and since we're just starting it you can get it in on the top <laughs> so that's the good thing by the way i am cracking up because so obviously last week we dropped an episode where we broke down what a pyramid scheme is what an mlm is and then we had uh, uh kirsten who's a broad squad member and who was raised in an amway household uh, she, she calls it an Amway cult. An Amway cult. And she has since left and she talked all about that. So check out that episode if you mm-hmm. haven't, because that really is the bones of what today's episode is about, because yes. we break the, a lot of that down. But yes. we put a question box <laughs> on our Instagram asking if you broads had any MLM questions. And, you know, obviously some people haven't listened to the episode yet. Uh, and people were like sending in the D like in the box, uh, the question box. They were like, wait a second. And people were like tweaked. Like, are, are you, you guys for serious one? starting your own MLM? Like, why are you supporting this? People and were like, please listen to the last episode. OK, <laughs> yeah. And actually in that episode, it's great because we really break down like technically the differences between MLM and a pyramid scheme, the history behind it. And then, of course, we got a lot of very interesting insider information for someone who literally grew up with their religion their family religion was amway basically yes yes. um that was just really fascinating to get insight into do you know why well you know why but saying to the to the listeners the reason why we well first of all kirsten said into my dms and said i was raised in an amway cult i was like fascinating let's talk about this let's talk about it no no what really what really gave us the jump to do that episode we we forgot to mention it have you forgotten? So forgotten? Bachelor News. Oh my god, how did I forget? So in Bachelor News, this a is few weeks ago. A few yes. weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's old news now. But it's still news. Maddie Pruitt, if you will remember, we've mentioned Pete last week mm-hmm. or earlier this week. And um nope, last week. Anyway, my timeline's messed up. And you mentioned how it was one of the most Either watched or engaged with seasons like ever. I think it has the highest viewership, at least in recent history. Well, what I do know is that that had the highest following of any female contestants on the show ever. Yes. Maddie Pruitt hit almost 2 million followers on Instagram Wild. following that without show. Without being the lead. Without being the lead. Madness. Wow. So in fairly recent bachelor news it came out that she has a new boyfriend which is big news because i don't think she had been official official with anyone no since coming off the season with pete like she's definitely dated and like people have taken photos with her with different people but i think this is her first like official official public relationship yeah but something so fascinating that people very quickly dug up Mm. is that her new boyfriend's name is Grant Trout, 
And he, great name, Grant Trout. Is Grant there Trout. a more like no. guy on Tinder holding a fish name <laughs> I mean, ever? Trout is the last name. Right. It goes without saying. And Grant, Grant Trout. Oh, yeah. It's kind of hard to say. He is the son mm-hmm. of world famous Kenny Trout. I mean, I didn't know who that was before this. Dun, dun, dun. Kenny Trout. Kenny Trout. But Kenny Trout was the founder of Excel Communications which is a now defunct MLM telecommunications telecommunications company. This is what was interesting. Just as I've started studying. Oh yeah, he's a billionaire. What is interesting is as I was learning more about MLMs, you know, there's the ones that we're really familiar with. Um, Even though you may, you might not know what an MLM is just a refresher. It stands for multi-level marketing. And that, like you're saying, it's sort of like a triangle. The people at the top make a lot of money and they have people below them who have people below them who have people who below them. And the whole idea is like recruitment to sell whatever product yes. you have. You're probably familiar with, we talked about Amway last week. There's Mary Kay. Mm-hmm. Some of the new ones are um, Monat or Mon- Monet, Monat. I don't know. Mo- Monat. I don't know how to say it. It's a hair one. Beauty counter. Beauty counter. Arbonne. Uh, Young Living, uh-huh. I think even doTERRA, doTERRA uh-huh. um, Lou LaRoe, which we'll be talking about today. Uh-huh. Is New Skin one, I think? New Skin? I'm not sure. I think. Um, Rodan Fields. Mm-hmm. There's quite a few, some more reputable than others. Um, but anyway, so those are the ones that are kind of known for having mostly female uh, sellers, but apparently there are others that are more catered towards men, like this one. It this was a telecommunications company that was at one point America's fifth largest long distance carrier. So what they were peddling was like long distance phone service. Okay, and at one point it was the fifth largest long distance carrier after AT and T. MCI, don't know what that is, Sprint and WorldCom. Whoa. So they got men into selling selling long distance phone service. Isn't that fascinating? You know what's interesting is I, when I was uh, just out of college, I think, or maybe still in college, one of my best friend's dads um, invited me and his daughter and numerous of our friends over to their house to what we thought was like going to be just like a family hang I guess and it ended up being an MLM pitch and he was I don't know if it was part of Kenny Trout's but he was in some sort of MLM that had something to do with something more in that lane where it was a little bit like scene like and I and I remember not understanding what was going on because I'm like well I already have like a phone plan (laughs) and it's all easy and set up he's like yeah but you could set it up through this one and it would be able to hook it up with all like with your TV. I'm like, yeah, but I already but I already have everything rolling. So like, why would I? You it's start, not less right. expensive. Right. And I just didn't understand. I was like, I don't get this at all. Yeah. I still don't quite understand it. Also, <laughs> the idea of specifically po- purchasing long distance phone service is like I, I'm, I'm showing my my youth because I forget that that was even a thing where you had to pay extra for long yeah. distance. Yeah. Because oh, yeah. now like. We are all calling the same area codes. Cor- correct. Right. I mean, I mean, different area codes. Like we're. Yeah. N- think about the number of people you call that aren't in your area code. Endless. Right. Most people. Right. Yeah. But think about a time where you had, if you were calling like your mom who lives in. You know, what's funny is I, I, just, call my mom I think about that sometimes. Sometimes I'm like, oh gosh, is my phone bill going to be crazy? <laughs> 
Because <laughs> totally. I'm used to that. Well, now even international like text and calling is like just a fairly yeah. cheap add-on. Crazy. Bizarre. So anyway, he created this, I believe it was in the 80s or something, but he sold XL Communications for $3.5 billion in 1998. $3.5 wow. billion. And I believe okay. in 2004, the company ended up going uh, bankrupt. In so about only six years later, but he got he started it and got in while the getting was good and made billions of dollars off of this. Uh, off so of this MLM. so Maddie's uh, boyfriend is that MLM money? He's got he's from that telecommunications MLM money. Wowzers! Very interesting. Um. So today I forgot that that's what started I everything. Know. That you and I were like, oh my god, can you believe? What a like, great segue! We'll talk about Maddie's new boyfriend and the, his billionaire dad. And we were imagining we're like, what is this going to then start? Like, will Maddie then become like a main speaker at like an MLM thing because we see her speaking a lot at churches, like motivational style, right. like. Is there going to be a, a, a Jesus MLM crossover? Okay, broads, before we dive more into this, we have to take a quick pause. Listen, I was shopping the other day for snacks, which is obviously the best kind of shopping. And I have to be completely honest with you here. There's really only one place that I trust getting my snacks from now. In fact, it's really the only place that I get anything from grocery-wise, pantry supply-wise. And that is Thrive Market. Oh, Thrive Market. It's your one-stop shop, like I was saying, for all those healthy products for every corner of your house. I'm talking everything, like I said, from the pantry staples to baking ingredients. They have everything from sustainable meat and seafood to non-toxic cleaning and beauty products. And of course, like I said, the biggest selection of the most delicious, healthy snacks you have ever seen. Um, and by the way, instead of buying something marketed as healthy that has like a ton of not so great ingredients or having to carefully check the ingredients on everything you pick up, you can trust that if it's on Thrive, it's been carefully vetted and is the highest quality available. That's the Thrive Market promise. So there are more than 5,000 products on Thrive. Wow. But shopping for what you need is easier than ever before because you can use over 90, 90 different filters to find exactly what you're looking for. Want something plant-based and zero waste? Just apply the filters and get to shopping, okay? It makes it so much easier to find exactly what you want. Uh, and once you're ready to check out, Thrive delivers your goods right to your door with their fast and free carbon neutral shipping. Join Thrive Market today and get $80 in free groceries. That's T-H-R-I-V-E market.com slash chatty to get $80 in free groceries. That's thrivemarket.com slash chatty, thrivemarket.com slash chatty. So pet owners everywhere can agree that your pets are a part of your family, which means that you have to take care of them as such. And if you're a cat owner, that can be a bit tricky since cats are notoriously mysterious and will often hide when something is off with their health. And if you're looking for that little peace of mind when it comes to your cat's health, look no further than Pretty Litter. Pretty Litter looks out for the health of your cat all the time so you can take a deep breath as a pet owner. Pretty Litter's crystals actually change color to detect early signs of potential illness uh, like urinary tract infections, kidney issues, and more. And that's just one of the features that makes Pretty Litter better than other litters, which is a huge feature, by the way. So my dad has a cat and he always talks about how before he used Pretty Litter, the drama would always be with the litter box. No matter how often he'd scoop it, he said it would always kind of stink. But 
Pretty Litter is ultra-absorbent and instantly traps odors. It works for up to a month, which means not only will your house stay smelling fresh, but you'll have to do a whole lot less scooping. Sounds like a win, 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 win to me. Uh, once you try Pretty Litter, it'll be the only litter you'll ever use. Go to prettylitter.com slash chatty to save 20% on your first order. That's prettylitter.com slash chatty to save 20% on your first order. prettylitter.com slash chatty. I do wonder why more... This is what I will say about MLMs. It seems like if you get in at the start and you don't care about fucking people over five ways down your downline or whatever you could make some good money get in at the right time with the right with the right company so that's why you should sign up under us as our downlines for as our new business ours. broads communications yeah you can actually get long distance calling on your iphone yeah it's crazy all you have to do is download our app but first you have to sign up under one of us so and it's a very simple buy-in it's only twenty five hundred dollars that's it just just but you own your own business oh my god so today we're going to be talking specifically about lularoe yes we are lularoe there's a lot of reasons that i think lularoe is a fascinating mlm but also we're going to have on in a little bit uh her name's stephanie mcneil she i got introduced to her she was writing a piece about influencers and she often talks about like social media culture, influencer news, all that kind of stuff. And she wrote a piece several years back about LuLaRoe. And then she got brought on as uh, she is in and I believe also helped produce um, a little documentary called The Rise and Fall of LuLaRoe. It is absolutely excellent. Uh It's on Discovery Plus. I know that you can watch it. Um, We got it through Prime. Highly suggest it. Highly suggest it. Very interesting. And I think that it breaks down, which I want to get into this more with her, but it really... I I felt like LuLaRoe was a little bit of an interesting, unique MLM for this reason. Mm -hmm. And I want to talk more about this with her, but... What I thought was interesting is there was a fleeting, of course, craze over their products. Like, you know, a lot of MLMs oh, like yeah, Amway are kind of more about like the recruitment and all that. But there was a LuLaRoe craze where everyone wanted to get their hands on these limited edition leggings. Uh-huh. And as I was listening to podcasts, there were some distributors distributors who were only focused on selling the product actually like a business where they're flipping clothes. That was what that was interesting. Who okay. weren't actually focused on recruiting on recruitment. Okay. Um, and we can get more into that. But um you said that you knew some people like who were involved. I think we all do. Yeah, oh yeah. I had some of my like dearest friends who were involved in LuLaRoe. Are we talking about uh, in general, uh, MM, well, MLMs first, or row, and then I kind of want to talk more about just like our backgrounds okay. with, with well, MLMs. Well, I will say this: I had one of my friends um, was involved with Lularoe. Uh, she and I'm very excited to talk about this with Stephanie more um, because I saw this specific friend actually repost. Stephanie's the documentary The Rise oh, really? and Fall of LuLaRoe because she walked away very disgruntled because of the company and I watched her with my own eyes you know work her ass off mm. and she hustled really hard because you know there was this 
this tale that was weaved via LuLaRoe that was like, hey, you can work 20 hours a week and make what you would make at a full-time job and you'll be able to then like stay home with your children and have this part-time job and da-da-da. And from her perspective, it was like, this is definitely not a part-time job. I am working 24-7 and then I'm putting all the money that I make right back into the product. Yeah. And I'm not making anything. Yeah. Well, I think what is interesting too about LuLaRoe is one, it's a very new MLM. So... Mm -hmm. Relative, of course, to Amway, right. Arbonne, Mary Kay that have been in the business for decades. I didn't realize that LuLaRoe only began in, what was it, 2012? Yeah, I think so. I believe so. that's what they said. It was like, 2012. it was the 2010s, which is within the last decade. Yeah. And Deanne and Mark Stidham, Stidham, mm -hmm. I don't know how you say that. Apparently, supposedly, legend has it, the way the business got started was that she was making these skirts for her daughters, started selling these skirts because people were so obsessed with mm -hmm. them. And it seems like this is really what happened. And then they said, OK, now we what if we got people to start distributing these skirts? Right. And one of the and as you see on the documentary, one of their friends was one of the first distributors. Who's like, let me sell these. Let me sell these. But then again, something that was noted in the documentary is that Deanne comes from basically like Mormon royalty. Yep. And money. So massive money already and uh, a name where I guess like, what was it? Her family was related to the founders. Yeah, I believe of, her grandfather was the brother of the founder of the Mormon church. Yes. So she's the, a lot of the people were talking about how she already had a reputation going in. Like people already were like, whatever Deanne says, we hold value to because she's part of this family that right. holds all this power in the community. Right. And so LuLaRoe, the name was coined by the combination of her two daughters' names, apparently. In 2016, they had reported sales of $1 billion. Crazy. Yeah, it was founded Wild. in 2012. And, uh, and yeah, so it, it was interesting to see how this sort of like supposedly organic unfolding of the company. Mm -hmm. uh, but anyway, okay, so LuLaRoe aside, I guess I just wanted to talk about, too, our experiences growing up around MLMs because I sort of, my cousins were always a part of yeah. it, um, in-laws, siblings occasionally dabbled, like everyone, my mom was in, um, did Juice Plus at oh one point. Oh my god, I forgot about Juice Plus. Yeah, that's yeah. an MLM, um, and so I was always under the impression, the loose impression that it was, like, a legitimate way for people to like make some sure. side cash. Sure. There was a there was a statistic I heard on a podcast talking about this where ga in gambling your odds are 95% that you're going to lose money. In an MLM, it's a 99.7% chance you're going to lose money. So according to these statistic analyzations, Gam going to a casino could be a better bet. Let's go to Vegas right now. Bitch. Let's go. <laughs> let's make some coins. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. <laughs> Although with my luck with gambling, it's probably ninety nine point eight percent chance that oh. I'm going to lose money. We'll never make a dime gambling. But we got some questions when we were doing the Q and A. Like, mm -hmm. are there any ethical MLMs? And I have to say, like. My personal answer would be no, because just the percentage chance of people losing out on money is so high. Mm -hmm. And MLMs operate 
on the structure that you constantly have to be engaging more people to buy into the company and just looking at statistics so many people that buy into the company especially once it's established are so far down on the totem pole that they're never going to make any significant return especially not with the amount of hours they put into hustle they have to put in to hustle the product and recruit people Mm -hmm. as you said and as i was you know, watching on this documentary, there are people that have to put in 50, 60 hour work weeks and they're making oh, my friend $8,000 a year. My friend is a hard worker. Right. She fucking hustles and she put everything into this. So many hours just hustling like crazy. And again, every, you know, every dollar that you made, you needed to put back to buy your product. And right. so it was just this cycle of like, you know, you have to keep buying more and they We'll get into this later in in the episode, but when you would buy a box from LuLaRoe, like you weren't able to request what you'd want in your shipment. So when you'd have your wow. buyers who you knew like, oh, they like this, this, this and that, every box you got would be a surprise. So then people are forced to then buy another box right. in hopes that maybe they'll get something that they would be able to sell more Literally easily. Literally a gamble. Literally it's a gamble. And of course, not all MLMs opt operate with that structure but i will say there's always sort of this supposition that if you are not succeeding in the company i've never seen an mlm that doesn't work this way with if you are not succeeding in the company it's because you're not working hard enough and that's generally the message there's never anything wrong with the product there's never anything wrong with the business structure there's you know there's never anything wrong with like the company but bonuses and payouts like you're not hustling as hard yeah they they just shame the participants that they're not doing it right right and And they should have you know hashtag no days off exactly hashtag boss babe which is interesting because i feel like a lot of times they'll loop a lot of people in by saying like, you know, you can be your own boss, which looks like that you don't have to work as much. You can work part time from home and make just as much money or more than you would from a full time job. But then once you're in it, it's very much hashtag no days off. Like you're not working hard enough. Well, and again, and if you've got, like, well, if you've got in at the beginning and you are really succeeding and crushing it and making hundreds of thousands of dollars, the way that you're making that kind of money is by having people under you who have people under them. So like at somewhere down the line, someone's getting screwed, mm-hmm. which is kind of how, as we broke down in last week's episode, sort of how pyramid schemes work. At some point, the money runs out because people are at the top are getting yeah. paid with people at the bottom's money. And eventually yeah. when that money is getting redistributed to the people at the top, eventually there's no income left for the people at the very, very bottom. Mm-hmm. Because at some point, you're going to max out in terms of people you can recruit because that's how you're making your main income with any MLM, generally speaking. So when you max out your neighborhood, your community, whatever, and there's no one more to recruit or other people have caught on around the country that people are losing money, you're screwed. I will say this. Most all of my friends at some point, especially being involved in the church, got involved in MLMs Mm -hmm. because they'd see their moms doing it and then they'd get you know, they would start their own business and it would just be, you know, was part of their downline. And I will be honest, I almost joined numerous times growing up when I was in high school and into early college because so many people that I knew did it and would say like, oh, I'm doing great, doing great. And every time I would bring it up, my mom and dad were like over our dead bodies. Really? It was like shut down hardcore in my house. Like, 
I think I'd have to ask my mom and dad if they had had experience where like their family members might have gotten screwed over because I'm telling you my father would have a visceral reaction to it like and my dad was never wired that way where he would be like absolutely not Jessica he was always like yeah do what you want pursue what you want but with the MLM stuff whenever I'd be like oh my friend's you know doing this like I think maybe I should start when I was like 18 my dad would just be like absolutely not and here is why and would break it all down and be like this is what's going to really happen and of course in almost religion like religious like fashion i would then almost start defending it because i was like defending my friends Mm -hmm. you know what i mean because i'm like no they're working hard and he's like i'm not saying that they're not but let's break down the bones of this and let's really talk about what it really looks like so one of the podcasts i was listening to one of the women who was a former lularoe distributor she was talking about how her husband wasn't on board and she was i believe she was actually talking to dean directly because you got in in early and she said well maybe your maybe your husband isn't in was that on the documentary i think so there was yeah. like a, there was a clip of it towards the end where she said um well maybe you need to get a husband that's like on board with lularoe what the heck time for me to get a new dad <laughs> what the heck yeah my dad's my parents perspective which is interesting and i understand what he's saying my dad was like oh i think it's like a good opportunity for people to practice like um, practice sort of turning on your business charm and like learning how to engage people and basically rope people into your business shit. And while that may be true, it requires <laughs> so much of an investment. And again, you are sort of having, it often requires a large investment. I will say like we said about Amway last week, the buy-in is only $78. LuLaRoe, on the other hand, now you can get a kit for about $500 Back in 2012, 2016, which is when my friend participated, the buy-in was minimum $4,900. And often like 10000 Yeah, you could go all the way up, I believe, to like a $12,000 kit. And of course, they tell you, well, you know, you're going to get you're really more serious if you buy in. Sure. Yeah, yeah, you're investing in your business, whatever. Not to mention, um, they encourage you to go. I was listening to a podcast where the woman was saying they encourage you to go buy clothing racks, go buy shipping, um, dedicate a whole room in your home, dedicate to a it. whole room to your home, home so that you know you, it's your business. Mm-hmm. Got to get a, you got to get a printer, you got to get a blah blah blah, you got to get, you got to buy all this stuff so that you're ready to become a business owner. Mm-hmm. So I will say that the upfront investment for this, there are MLMs where the upfront investment is like seventy eight dollars, like it is with Amway sure. now. Uh, however, again, I, I just think that the whole business model only benefits a very small percentage of people and everyone else gets screwed out of some amount of money. Uh-huh. They were small. Mm-hmm. And if they're easily susceptible, which brings me to this question, which I want to go over with Stephanie, someone said, I can't wrap around how, my head around how so many people get sucked in. Um, a lot of people get preyed upon during mm-hmm. times where they've, I watched, uh, a uh, documentary on Herbalife where someone said that they lost their job and their friend came over like literally that same night and was like, I can help you get financially independent, whatever. I mean, whether... Well, Evan was coming out of general, general anesthesia. The nurse <laughs> is trying to get him to set up on Amway. Wasn't in his right mind, yeah. I mean, people, yeah. you know, in divorces, now yeah. having to be single moms, whatever. Not to mention that so many MLM, MLMs do sell this, ultimately, I believe is a lie, this lie that... 
a single mom, a stay-at-home mom, someone who is already maybe feeling a little bit isolated due to their circumstances, has no way to make income, you know, that they can have a sisterhood and they can bring in their own cash. Mm -hmm. And I think that when you're in a vulnerable position like that, especially when someone gets roped into a community, you don't want to let go of that community. Mm -hmm. And with many of these MLMs that people are deeply involved in, when they try to pull out, they're they lose they're told to the other members are told to shut out that person from their group. well and that's the thing listen at the end of the day like who wouldn't want to be in a situation where you're like i will be able to retire early i'll be able to spend time with my family i get a lake house while also like you know being able to make my own hours i get a pink mercedes I, yeah there, i mean there's it's 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 the way that it's the, the way that it's presented is very much like Honestly, at least in the community that I was part of in the church community, like I think the biggest reason that it that it was so rampant is because obviously in the church community that I was raised and it was very much like the men go to work, the women stay at home with the kids. Do you want to be one of those bad parents who has to go to work? Right. Or do you want to be a really good spouse who stays at home? And supports your husband and your children. And you're also contribute. And who can contribute, but you're a present parent. And right, you'll be right. able to be home for your right, children. Right. But you'll be able to then retire early and then be there, and for, what everyone be there for your grandkids. Of course. Of course yeah. it does. So you you hear all these things, and then you feel like, oh man, maybe this is the best call for mm -hmm. me and my family. And it preys upon that a thousand percent. Not to mention when you have trusted loved ones, like, like you said, in the church, yeah. friends, whatever. And people then you've, you've seen known the people who are actually successful, the people that are at the top who mm -hmm. have lake houses and have, you know, new cars and all this sort of thing. And then everyone else below them is often encouraged to, I remember one of my friends was in Monat and fake it, encouraged to fake it till you make it, you know? Yeah. Okay, if you're not selling, just act like this is what you're being coached on. Uh -huh. If you're not selling product, act like you're selling a ton of product. Act like you're killing it because uh -huh. that's how you're going to get people to sign up under you. Mm. There's friends that we're not close anymore, but there's people in, in my life who, in my younger years, who are still with certain MLMs. I will never know if they're actually making the money that they're making. All right. Because there's a presentation of like, oh, we're absolutely crushing it. Yeah. And I remember thinking that was the case for them or for some of these people. And then finding out like one of them was needing to move back in with the, like the, their full family was needing to move back in with their parents, but they were still like telling all of us like we're crushing it financially. And then I found out, Oh, they have no money left. Mm -hmm. So it's like, I don't, you don't even know, even with some of your friends, because I think a lot of them, like you said, encourage like to present a certain way. Um, yeah. So people might even be telling you to your face, I'm absolutely crushing it financially. And it just might be a straight up lie well, and because also, that's what they're being encouraged to again fake it till you make it right and also because mlms often rely on recruitment like i was saying at a certain point that recruitment pool runs dry yeah. so you actually might be crushing it at one point i was listening to someone she was making like sixteen thousand dollars a month at the peak and then the next month it was like 12 and then it was 10 and then it was eight and then it was you know and it was dropping 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 because eventually in LuLaRoe's case, the buzz over the product died down. The product got really shitty um, and people were over it. And people also the realized... started getting so the wild. started getting wild. <laughs> I mean, Can't wait to talk about that. 
but then, you know, the people below you and the people below them and the people below them who you're also all getting paid like a percentage and a bonus from from recruiting them. If they start to leave because they're losing money mm -hmm. at the bottom, eventually the well is going to run dry for your stream of income that you were receiving before. Like we said, a 99.7% chance in MLMs that you will end up losing money. So I would discourage it. <laughs> I would highly discourage it. I would not it. recommend getting no. involved <laughs> in an MLM. No, but no, no, no. Anyway, let's bring Steph on because there's some yes. great questions talking I'm about so asking excited. people, how can you help a loved one get out of an MLM? Stephanie, I know, has done like a lot of research in this because she is involved in doing like a lot of research on mommy blogging spheres, sort of mm -hmm. like mo all these different sort of adjacent communities and has studied a lot about M any MLMs. And I would be interested to talk about some of these questions people have sent in about, is there a tie between Christianity and most MLMs? Mm -hmm. Why is that? What if we like buying certain products from them, like Mary Kay, Esborn Books, etc.? That's a great question. Yeah, I'm interested with that. Yeah, so I think that it'll be great to have her on and answer some of those questions, and then also kind of just go over the history of LuLaRoe, because there is some juicy scandal. There is scandal. It is fascinating. This Extremely. documentary is so well done, and it really, what I loved about this documentary is that it really came from the eyes of people who were participating and currently still are participating in it. So you had different dynamic going on. Yeah. And, and some people who are forced to still participate in it because they've got thousands and thousands correct. of product units that they have to get out of the garage. Even post the lawsuits, which we'll get into. <sighs> All right. Yes. Let's All bring right. her on. All right. We so, are here. Yes. With us, we have Stephanie McNeil, um, reporter, online yes. news journalist, uh, correspondent on all things. Well, how would you describe yourself? Uh, my official title, I guess, is senior culture reporter. Culture reporter. I guess, I don't know, writer slash reporter, internet culture writer i don't know it's it's kind of kind of all the way all <laughs> <out there>. <laughs> <laughs> you basically write and talk about like whatever's hot on the internet right now and i think what's interesting is that you're very in tune with i mean how long have you been following mom blogger culture like i feel like you're talking about people who have no idea who they are and you're like yeah these are this these are the og people i always find that interesting honestly so long it's kind of embarrassing. <laughs> my, my, I guess my villain origin story for how I got into the internet is I right after college I got into bloggers and I think it was like kind of when blogging was at its heyday so this is like 2011 2012 and I I guess I was like just really bored and you know, spent a lot of time on the internet and I found all of these like healthy living bloggers and uh, like, you know, cooking bloggers. Cause I was, you know, right after college, I was trying to like, you know, make it on my own. And somehow I stumbled on like the entire blog culture and that leads you to like fashion bloggers and mommy bloggers. And like, I was like 22 years old and I didn't have a boyfriend or anything I didn't know I didn't was not even close to having kids but I just became like fascinated with a lot of mommy bloggers um like some of the 
OGs, I would say, like Taza, for example. Um, and I didn't really do anything but just read and kind of follow along with them. And then eventually when I got my job at BuzzFeed and started thinking that I wanted to be a culture writer, culture reporter, I started writing just about the internet and about bloggers and influencers kind of just as an experiment because I realized that no one was really writing about them and I was interested in them and my friends were interested in them. So I figured other people might be too and it turns out other people were interested. So that kind of <laughs> my thing. But um, yeah, I I don't know why I was I was interested in mom bloggers it's uh, on like old school blogs they would have a thing where it would be like follow my friends and sometimes it would be people it would like just have links to other blogs and sometimes it would have people that were like a similar topic to them but sometimes it would just end up people and I think that's probably how I found other people because it was just like you know one after another after another right here's my friend here's Mm -hmm. my friend here's my friend (laughs) yeah Yeah, like tiktok I guess but more uh less less uh, easy to scroll through. <laughs> well, I'll say just like, you know, becoming an influencer through being on a bat on the bachelor and then becoming a mom and then being sort of exposed to this community that I frankly had no idea existed beforehand before becoming a mom and an influencer. I was kind of completely oblivious. I think it is, is a very fascinating culture and there are a lot of like subsets right of mom blog cultures like within Instagram and TikTok and there are unspoken rules of how you go about things and things about you talk about and things you don't talk about and all of that kind of thing I think becomes very interesting once you dive into it and I I know I follow a lot of people just for almost like business research purposes where I'm like I probably wouldn't choose to follow this person on my own but I'm interested in how they do things and I inevitably get sucked into their content also and like invested in their lives which is a fascinating thing it's crazy how easily you can get sucked into someone else's life right (laughs) I don't know I don't know what that impulse is because not not only have I followed some influencers for I mean, like over 10 years at this point, it's just like, I guess it's just like a natural human instinct. Cause like, think about how you have like that one Facebook or Instagram friend who you haven't talked to in 15 years, Mm -hmm. but you like are really really interested in their life. You check in on them, type in, they come on your most searched, watching their stories. Weird phenomenon. Um, Yeah, I don't know. And I always find myself and I know other people do, too, because I get questions from people. I get curious about the most like dumb things, too, where I'm like, well, like who's watching your like and not even not even mean way, but like, well, who's watching your son right now while you guys are like going on the cruise? Right. Or like, well, you know, just things like that where I'm not even being rude. I'm just curious, like, you know, well, what happened to your washing machine? You said that you guys were selling it. So like, where have you been doing your laundry right now? You know, just stuff like that, that I'm genuinely invested enough to be curious about what's happening on these really like minute details of these people's lives. Bizarre. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> And especially when you've been following someone for a really, really long time, you know so much of their backstory and their history that you want to know the day-to-day details. Absolutely. Did the um, MLM 
interest was that connected with then your like deep dive into mommy blogger culture were you seeing then a lot of that with the mommy bloggers I would say yes and no um it was definitely an internet culture thing um Mm -hmm. but I didn't know of any mom bloggers specifically who covered or did MLM um but it was something that I found via the internet and explored I guess through the internet and it really is I think an internet story because MLMs today do so much recruiting on social media and so much of their culture and the way that they run their business is via social media um so when I found the LuLaRoe story I was actually more of a general assignment reporter and I had gotten really into um this is going to sound kind of weird but I would just go on Facebook pages for random businesses that I thought were kind of shady or like maybe like for weird. Right, right. See if people were complaining about them. And so I started, I did a couple of stories um, that were kind of, you know, online feuds that companies were having with customers. And then I... So then I was kind of poking around in that world a little bit. And I saw that LuLaRoe had been sued by some of its customers. And I didn't know a ton about LuLaRoe. Um, I had heard of it, but I didn't know anyone who sold it or anything. And I thought to myself, well, if there are angry women on the internet or angry people on the internet, uh, there's probably a Facebook group. So (laughs) I found this Facebook group where people were complaining about the quality of their LuLaRoe clothing. And then I saw how many people were complaining about just working for LuLaRoe in general Mm -hmm. and about other problems that they said the company was having. Um, And so that was kind of my introduction into the whole scene. Um, And I mean, that Facebook group was like the basis for every piece of reporting I've done since. So it's definitely an internet community story, um, if not a influencer specific story. I am curious, what's your perspective on why more influencers with large followings are not part of MLMs? Because I always think about that and I'm like, on paper, it seems like it would be great if you had thousands or hundreds of thousands of followers, Mm -hmm. especially we were just talking before you hopped on. I'm like, if you can get in at the beginning of an MLM, (laughs) you can do pretty well if you just hit the right timing and just get that gamble perfect. So I do sort of wonder sometimes, why don't you see more influencers, you know, recruiting their followers to be like their downlines through MLM companies. What's your kind of take on that? I guess with most influencers, I suppose ethics. Yeah. (laughs) But I will say that, you know, one thing about influencer culture in general is it's kind of the gift that keeps on giving in terms of there's always an influencer or an influencer subsect that I've never heard of. Mm-hmm. Who has like millions of followers. So for example, there are huge MLM influencers, specifically mm-hmm. in the uh, essential oils community, right. um, either okay. Living or doTERRA, which are the kind of two big mm-hmm. essential oils uh, companies. And 
there are multiple women actually who have gotten huge Instagram followings kind of in tandem with their uh, essential oils businesses. So there's one woman in particular who um, isn't with Young Living anymore, but her career really took off as both an influencer and as an essential oil saleswoman. I think she ended up having like 500,000 followers or something by the time she left. Um, But at the same time, she was uh, like Royal Crown Diamond or something in Young Living. And so she had like, I believe like dozens, if not hundreds of people under her. Um, And it's a really powerful recruiting tool. It was like a chicken or the egg scenario because on the one hand, she probably initially got a lot of followers because she was so big in this MLM. But then, you know, she's also a mom and she, you know, has an interesting life. So then she started to kind of get, I assume, followers on her own just from like posting about her life. And then she's able to recruit any new followers she gets because she's like, you know, look at this amazing house I have. Right, look at all these right. things we have. Right. You know, my husband and I both work full time for this essential oils company. Let, let me tell you more about it if mm-hmm. you want to be involved. So it was almost like those things can really work in tandem. Um, Absolutely. Thing, phenomenon I've noticed is there's a lot of people who have been blogging uh, slash influencing for a really long time who joined this MLM called Beauty Counter. Uh-huh. Uh, we just mentioned Beauty Counter at the top. Yeah. Yeah. And Beauty Counter is kind of like a, it's it's like a more ethical MLM or a lot of the people that are in it like to say that it's not an MLM because you can also buy the products um, via the website. So it's not one of the things where you only have to buy okay. from a distributor, um, I believe. I don't know if that's changed, <laughs> um, but I mean, it still is, you know, a direct sales model. Um, and I wrote about this a couple of years ago and I don't really know why a lot of these, you know, these are people who have been on the internet for like 15 years and mm-hmm. maybe their blogging career has kind of waned. They're not really enjoying being influencers anymore. So they're kind of trying to, you know, join up on this other thing. I don't know. Um, but that was, yeah, that was an interesting phenomenon. I know this one. Also, just a quick side note before we get into dive into LuLaRoe, because that's really what we want to focus on. Mm-hmm. But there was even, I saw you write about that influencer who used to sell Young Living with a bizarre scandal related to that, correct? Where <laughs> they claimed that, that Young Living was distributing like demonic books to their distributors and that there was dark energy. And so they had what? to leave as Christians, I believe. Yes, it was, it was so wild. Um, <laughs> yeah, so basically what happened was there was a mass exodus from Young Living uh, and a lot of the top sellers, um, you know, some of these influencers included, ended up leaving Young Living. They didn't really say why. They just said, you know, it was best for their family, blah, blah, blah. And then they ended up, a lot of them ended up joining this other MLM, um, which was not an essential oils company, but sells um, health products, collagen, all that kind of stuff. Um, And so there's like a lot of speculation online about why someone who was reportedly making, you know, up to a million dollars a year in revenue, why they would just leave that on the table to go start from scratch. 
and there wasn't really a lot of explanation forthcoming. Um, and then uh, like six <laughs> months later, one of the influencers who had left Young Living came out and said, I just got sent this book because I was on this mailing list for my time at Young Living. Um, a woman who worked who worked at Young Living doing direct sales as well, decided to send them out to everyone she knew at this certain tier of Young Living. And the founder or co-founder of Young Living um, is also featured in the book or she wrote like the intro or something. So it wasn't a Young Living um, book and it wasn't a Young Living uh, material. Yeah, right, right. It, It was... It was like heavily uh, in the culture. And yeah, it was, it's a, I mean, I actually <laughs> saw some pages from the book and it's like some very like spiritual kind of like mumbo jumbo, like self-actualization. And if you believe it, you can achieve right, it. That right, kind of stuff. Right, right. But, um, you know, a lot of these women are evangelical Christians and they felt like the book was, um, not only against their beliefs, but it was demonic. demonic and yeah. like, some of them even came out and said, you know, we had a bad feeling about Young Living. and we like didn't we, know what There was, was very, very dark energy. Yes. And mm-hmm. now that we've seen this book, which again was not sent by Young Living, but now that we see that other people in this company were into this book, we know why. Yeah, there was very um, like a tell-all thing too, where it was like, I have to speak my truth on this. And like, this was very demonic. And like, this was one of the many reasons like why we no longer felt you know, comfortable Whoa. being a part of this company drama. Yeah, it was, I thought it was really interesting because I don't know if uh, you guys or any of your listeners have spent a lot of time in the evangelical community or spent a lot of time around the evangelical community. We were yeah, both born up. and raised. <laughs> you too? Yes. Grew up okay. around them. Yes, yes. Okay. So it was interesting watching people who had no really connection or thoughts about that um, versus when I saw it, I was like, yeah, this is like something I could totally see some people I know in the evangelical community saying, because, you know, that is something that's very common. They say, you know, I just had a bad feeling. It has energy. I felt like the devil was working through this. Um, Mm -hmm. But for people who have not much exposure to evangelicals, they were very confused. (laughs) (laughs) They were like, wait a second. What? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, But it's interesting. And I mean, there's still a lot of debate online about what exactly happened um, to make these people jump ship to this other MLM. Interesting. But now apparently they're blaming it on feeling the devil. Bad. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Demons. Hello. Okay, broads, one more quick pause. So I will admit the strongest sense of temptation I have in life is at 6 p.m. pretty much every single day when I think I'm just going to for the ease of it, open that food delivery app and order whatever my heart desires. And while sometimes that's fantastic, um, well, it's not always so great on the wallet, uh, and it's probably not a great habit. But I do love the ease of it while I found a solution. Daily Harvest. I want to always make sure that my kitchen is stocked with some healthy, easy to prepare food options from Daily Harvest. Honestly, easy to prepare might actually be an understatement here because the extent of preparation needed is pretty much remove from freezer, heat or blend, and enjoy. 
that's it. <laughs> Eating with Daily Harvest is that simple, and my God, is it delicious. Uh, they have options for every meal, any time of day, from fruit-forward smoothies and oat bowls to flatbreads and hearty soups. Daily Harvest even has plant-based ice cream for those times when you're craving something sweet. Each recipe is built on organic fruits and vegetables with no added sugars or artificial preservatives. Your Daily Harvest delivery ships right to your front door and can be stored in your freezer until you're ready to eat it. It is full convenience and deliciousness. To be honest, my favorite Daily Harvest meal changes almost weekly, but I will say I'm very obsessed with their oat bowls right now, especially because mornings have been extra busy around our house lately. This is the easiest way to make sure we're all getting that healthy filling breakfast. My favorite right now is the blueberry lemon, but really you can't go wrong with any of the delicious flavors. Avoid the takeout temptation and get Daily Harvest. Go to dailyharvest.com slash chatty to get up to $40 off your first box. That's dailyharvest.com slash chatty for up to $40 off your first box. Dailyharvest.com slash chatty. Okay, last question before we really dive into LuLaRoe that I'm curious about. Do you have a favorite like mom blogger Instagrammer do you have anyone that you are like actually kind of obsessed with them and you like can't stop like checking in on them and like actually want to be their friend honestly there's it feels like it really changes over time Mm. like I feel like as I go into like different stages of my life I read people more or less so I used to read a lot of um like running bloggers um and I still do but that was like my main obsession for a long time. Uh, but somebody asked me this on my Instagram the other day. And I think the person I read most consistently now is Mackenzie Horan, uh, Design Darling, because she is like, re- I really like like home reno and um, I don't know, like DIY. Yeah, yeah. And she has like this house that she is like redoing room by room and her style is like similar to mine. I'm not quite as East Coast preppy because I'm not from the East Coast, but <laughs> I like a lot of it. And it's like a lot of her content is like how I would decorate my house if I had um, more money. So <laughs> I think most consistently um, just because I like seeing what she's doing with her house. But um, yeah, I didn't even find her until a couple years ago. So it's like, you know, I feel like it really does change over time. Well, there's a plug for her. So she can thank you for that, for getting more followers yeah. from you. <laughs> her content a lot. Okay, well, starting out with LuLaRoe and kind of corresponding to what you were just talking about, someone asked specifically, why does it seem like MLMs like have such close ties to Christianity? Has it always been that way? And why is that? And I feel like this is something that the documentary touched on a little bit, but I'd like to hear your perspective on that. It's really interesting because I think it just so happens that MLMs proliferate in the same communities where people tend to have those ties of religion. Um, You know, a lot of the places where you see MLMs really take off are smaller towns or suburbs or places where, you know, people really rely on community and a lot of the community is really tied up in church. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, so you don't really see MLMs proliferate among friend groups in New York City, for example, where Mm -hmm. I live. Um, And 
you know, LA, you know, it's not as big of a thing. <laughs> um, but in these, you know, smaller, more tight knit towns where, um, you know, people, maybe everyone's from there, people know each other, they know each other from church. Um, I, I think that might have something to do with it. That's my theory anyway, because so much of these MLMs rely on that community infrastructure to proliferate. Mm -hmm. So if you want to start in an MLM, you're probably going to start via word of mouth from someone, you know, um, a little less so now because a lot of it is internet recording, but still it tends to be people you kind of know that you end up signing up with, I think in general. Um, And then, you know, they really do now push like the online parties and all of that, but there is still, and historically, one of the main ways people sold MLM products was doing these big parties at your house where Mm you open up your home and everyone comes and you know you give them drinks and food and all that kind of stuff not that you know people in New York don't have parties at their house but I just think that you know those strong community ties really work to MLM's advantage and that kind of thing where you know so and so is at church and here's through the grapevine that someone she doesn't really know but kind of knows um, is doing this great business opportunity, goes over to her house, and then, you know, they all talk about it, and they all decide to join. Like, I, I just think that proliferates easier in smaller communities. Um, but that's not based on any scientific evidence. That's just based on um, what I've observed and what people have told me, and then just my own, um, I guess, my own thoughts and <laughs> well, <laughs> my own yeah in the documentary I talked about how you know when you would start out in the ml in most mlms you have to write down a li- your very first thing is you have to write down a list of people that you would contact and like in LuLaRoe they suggested you write down a list of 50 people well that would be easy if you're a part of a church easier if you're part of a church community because like you said there's lots of people that you have loose ties to i just even think about being out in the church courtyard after service and my parents would always be mingling you know for two hours sometimes with people they were good friends with and not so good friends with and networking right like whether or not you're trying to sell somebody something there's this it's a com- it's a community and you can only really recruit people if you have some sort of community be it in person or online but otherwise you're not really going to go anywhere um yeah yeah i yeah i noticed it for myself a lot of the mlm like the parties then you know to promote the product and then recruiting or whatever that i would experience would be a lot of times via already established Bible study groups. Like you'd have all your Bible study groups in the church. And, you know, I would be in one where there'd be 12 women and like one of the women would on the table put out some of the product before Bible study and be like, oh, I'm doing this. You should try it out. And then I'm having a party on the weekend. So everyone from the Bible study and then their friends would all come and it's like it's something to do on Saturday. Well, it's also fun. Like it's I used commu- to with yeah. my mom. You it's know, it's, it's community. Like you're like, oh, I'm. These are my friends who I see once a week, and I can see them on Saturday, and we're gonna have like a little party with you know snacks and stuff. Right, and we'd go to Mary the Mary Kay party and be like, oh, we're gonna do foot. We're all gonna do foot baths. Oh, that's fun. Yeah. You know, and I might buy a foot cream, and then they're like, oh, well, if you sign up, you can get fifteen percent off this foot mm-hmm. cream, and then eventually maybe seventy five percent off if you you know what, however it works and. I don't know. I feel like that's a really innocuous way to, for people to have a really casual approach where they might not think immediately like, oh, I'm going to quit my job, but they get sucked in in a small, innocuous manner. 
where it's very normalized. Yeah, I really understand how it could happen. Um, and I think too, like a lot of these women who end up working for MLMs, you know, they're not people typically who are working, um, you know, a nine to five, 40 hour a week career. Usually it's people who are either working part time or are staying at home with their children or are in a career where they're looking to have a more flexible lifestyle. Um, and I think that's how it really proliferates too among um, circles of mothers who, yeah. you know, again, like, yeah, you're after church and people are like, oh, did you hear so-and-so quit her job because she's doing so well at, you know, right. whatever LM. And that can be like a really, um, and really enticing for people yep. to, and that, I mean, that's how they get people in is they say, you know, you only have to work part-time. You can work from your house. You can be the best mom you want to be, but you can also make money for your family and everyone's like, yeah, yeah. that sounds great. Yeah. Sign me mm-hmm. up. <laughs> well, let's talk about LuLaRoe in particular, because I think there are some really interesting aspects of it. One thing that I was telling Jess earlier that I think is really fascinating about LuLaRoe is that. There was actually a point in time where there was a huge boom with their products. Like with most MLMs, like the product is kind of secondhand. It's about recruitment, ultimately, if people really admit it. But with LuLaRoe, there was a point in time where people were obsessed, like collecting hundreds of pairs of leggings, whatever. Not even necessarily people who are tied up in the business, but like Mm -hmm. everyone was wanting to buy LuLaRoe because they were obsessed with the leggings, with the tops, whatever. That I thought was really interesting. Yeah, I am really obsessed with this uh, like clothing collection culture. I've mm-hmm. done a, I did a piece on moms who are really into collecting these high-end baby clothes. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, I know people do it with things like Stony Hover Lane or things like that. Where Stanley Cups. Not, <laughs> yeah, Stanley Cups. Like, it's not just about, I don't know, I find it really interesting when people buy things that are ostensibly to be worn or used, but they're actually just part of a collection. Um, Like a great example is like Ray Dunn, which was huge for a while. People would buy like 200 (laughs) months and it's like, well, you can't use, but it's not about using all the months. It's about the collection. What is that? What's Ray Dunn? Ray Dunn. It's like, you totally know what yeah, you, you'd know exactly like the lettering on the mugs that like has certain sayings on it. My sister actually works at Home Goods, and she said yeah. like whenever they get a Ray Dunn shipment in, she's like people will be waiting outside <laughs> just for like to try to get that oh Ray Dunn. God. Yeah, it was, it's a it's a whole thing. Okay, yeah, interesting. Like, if you go to Home Goods and it's like a bowl that says eat. Yeah, I just I just googled it. I'm like, okay, blessed, eat, nibble. Yeah, Lula was the exact same way. Um, in its heyday, people were just like obsessed with it, and it went from the same kind of thing where at first people were like, oh, this clothing is really comfortable, um, and it's really flattering. I think like one thing that. I always try to talk about is people really love the LuLaRoe clothing because they felt like it made them feel confident Mm -hmm. uh, because it wasn't just, you know, for straight size, tiny, Mm -hmm. thick, thin women. It was for everyone. You know, it went up to all these different sizes and they really marketed to moms and, uh, 
you know, a lot of moms found it to be like a really happy medium where it was something that was cute and a lot of their friends wore it, but it was also like, I can wear this two months postpartum and feel good about myself right. or yeah. wear this to the park and, you know, run after my kids and I can feel good about myself and like I'm put together. Right. Um, but I think that's how it took off initially. And then it became about, like I said, like this collection thing where they would have all of these drops all of the time with new prints and everyone would be like scouring the different Facebook groups to try and find the prints. And I, I asked some of them people I've interviewed over the years to like explain to me, like, what is like, what was it about that? And they're like, yeah, it's just, it's more of a collection mentality mm-hmm. than like a, I need 200 pairs of leggings right. to wear. It's I want like, something rare, something no yeah. one else has. The unicorn. Yeah. Exclusive. Yeah. Yeah. They call it a unicorn, which is a term that now I've realized you find in a lot of these collecting communities um, where people are just obsessed with this one print. I mean, it's like, it's like a beanie babies. Almost. Right. Like, right. Everyone wants like the princess Diana or whatever. <laughs> beanie baby. Um, but yeah. And you know, if companies can kind of capture that lightning in the bo- in a bottle, they are pretty set. Um, but yeah, I mean, in, in its heyday, Lularo was pretty big. Again, it was like, um, especially among certain communities, I think um, it was really considered to be, you know, like one of the best it brand. Well, there, yeah. what was interesting too is that there were some people that were doing really well initially. So I was just listening to a podcast on the way here about a husband and wife duo. He was literally a financial advisor and his wife was like a a speaker for uh, companies. Anyway, she would go and do speaker talks. They both were making a ton of money. She got kind of obsessed with LuLaRoe on her own. She's like, I'm going to order a box. She wasn't even home yet. She told her husband, they both operated like in online circles doing like um, it you know, they, they already had a big following and they would do to kind of like, um, what would you call it? What do you call it? Like workshops, online workshops and that sort of thing. So she told her husband, oh, why don't you open up the box? Why don't you go on live and like show, you know, kind of unbox it and show people like, oh, my wife just bought this. He didn't even know what it was. She talked about how he went on live and within like two and a half hours, he had sold, she had bought like a $12,000 box kit and a startup kit. He sold 90% of the product and it was just him holding it up. And people on the Facebook live were like, I want that. Acclaim that. Like I'll send you money right now for it. He sold 90% of the inventory, sold like $26,000 worth of leggings over the course of a couple hours. So like, obviously that's a huge come up, right? Like you're making like over, you're making 15K profit practically over the course of a couple hours. So there was, that's what I find is interesting is there was a period of time and this woman in particular talked about how she and her husband weren't even really involved with recruiting. They were literally just like flipping LuLaRoe boxes that they were getting and making a really decent profit off of it, uh, which I just found that really interesting. I felt, felt like that was a unique to other MLMs that at least I know about. Um, yeah, and that's kind of how MLMs can be super insidious is that mm-hmm. it does work for some people. It right. doesn't work for, I think, 98% of people, right. but the the whole way place, uh, companies like LuLaRoe get to be so popular is 
there are people who get in on the ground floor and get in when, you know, the product is really hot and everyone really wants it. And they do make a lot of money. Like Mm -hmm. I said, um, in Young Living, they they report that their top people make like over a million dollars a year. So if there's demand for the product there and you can build a big enough team under you, you definitely can. There are few people that who can make money. The problem is that the marketing material for these kind of companies usually say something along the lines of, Hey, look at this person. Anyone can do this. When in actuality, mm-hmm. um, you know, studies have shown that I think, I think it's like 98% of people will never make a profit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 99.7. I was just saying earlier, 95 in gambling, you have a 95% of losing money with MLMs. It's 99.7. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it is, and it is really like gambling, but the problem is that instead of saying like, you know, they wouldn't get that many people to sign up if they were like, Hey, sign up. You're probably not going to be one of these extra special people who make money, but give it a try and see if it works. They say, anyone can do this. You could do this. You just have to work hard enough. And then when we get into this really uh, damaging rhetoric that these companies put out that, you know, it's very much pull yourself up by your bootstraps mentality that the people who are at the top are there, not because they got lucky, but because they work so hard. And which by the way is also, it's also a Western Judeo Christian ethic too, which kind of fits in with the whole church thing. Exactly. You know, just like pulling on, the uh, American ethos. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and, you know, if you fail at this business, it's not because the de- deck was stacked against you from the beginning and you never were going to make any money. It's because you failed and you didn't work hard enough. And that's where these kind of companies can be really damaging, uh, not just monetarily, but psychologically and emotionally for a lot of people. Right. Even seeing just the clips like that were in the documentary of Deanne being like, you need to buy a box of product every day, like the amount of money. So even if you are like, I was so interesting to me seeing so many of the people who, uh, you know, started and then their first few months they sold even when it was like when it was really hot, sold so much product like and sold out immediately but were then told by the founders and by people in like their upline or whatever you need to purchase then more product and more and it's like you end up not making any money because all the money goes straight back into buying product every single day yeah and the little model was really interesting because the consultants could pick what sizes they wanted and right this is what i wanted to get into next yep but they couldn't pick the prints and the prints were what people were collecting. So what they essentially created was this open air market where you would have to join, say you wanted a pair of, I don't know. Pizza leggings. It's not like you could just have your one LuLaRoe girl who you went to every time there was a new drop, you would have to join like 50 Facebook groups in the hopes that one of them would get it in your size. And it also really kind of set the consultants up for not a great business model because they had 
if all of their customers wanted one thing and they didn't get it, they wouldn't make any money. Right. Yeah. And, well, and what other, and let's be real here. What other, like if you truly are a business owner, correct? Like right. if what you're starting with LuluRoe, like what they say, it's your own business. Right. What other retail store, for example, isn't able to be like, oh, we sold out of that one pair of, you know, this style of pant. We're going to now go buy from that company more. And then the company who's selling the pant goes, well, you can buy a box of something. You're not going to know what product is in it, but you can buy. I mean, that's just not how retail. It's just not how it operates. It would be like if the supermarket was like ordering new produce in and they're like, shit, we just got 45 boxes of kiwis and one of artichokes. Like, hopefully we can sell a lot of kiwis this week. Like, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Right. And I remember whatever you get. Yeah. I remember specifically. So one of my friends used to sell LuLaRoe. Um, and I was telling Becca earlier, she a little while ago, I saw her on Instagram post your documentary and she was like, yes, because she had, you know, gotten screwed over by the company like so many had. Um, But she, I remember one of the parties of hers that I went to, I was looking at the leggings and I'm like, listen, I'm a very black and white bitch. Like I do not, I'm not super patterned. So I was asking her, I'm like, do you have any just like a plain black? Cause they're very soft. I was like, just maybe a black or like a, some sort of basic, just straight color. And she was like, oh no, 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 I don't have any of those. And so then when I, and I'm like, I remember feeling like, I'm like, that's so interesting that there's no just basic like one color block type, you know, legging. And so then after watching the documentary and seeing, oh, they would call a pair of black leggings a unicorn because those any just basic color was so often not included. And they'd have these wild patterns that then so many people couldn't sell. It's strange. Yeah. I mean, really like in, you were on the ground floor of LuLaRoe I should interview you, you oh, gosh. <laughs> it wasn't me but it was my yeah my my girlfriend was definitely she got in I mean I would say she was she started maybe 2012 like right when they started 2013 yeah some of my cousins yeah. still have their LuLaRoe yeah. link up in their bio on their social media trying to get rid of that product uh, I don't want to get too much into the LuLaRoe lore but there actually was a whole kerfuffle. I think it was like 2017, 2018 over black leggings because LuLaRoe did this big launch called Noir, which was the all black launch. Oh, All these black clothing. And like you said, black was a unicorn. Everyone just wanted black leggings right. in LuLaRoe fabric. And so they did this, they hyped up this big launch of all this, black clothing and essentially what the consultants complained about was they said most people did not get them or if they did get them they only got sizes that were unpopular um so that was like a whole scandal same time because there was a lot of allegations that essentially the best noir clothing only went to the top and most uh exalted sellers the scraps went to everyone else yeah and it was like one of those things that i kind of watched unfold um i think i actually did like a little story on it just because why not 
Um, but I don't think it's made it into any of the documentaries because it's not super interesting, but it was like a big thing on the It's Lulu fascinating road. to me. Well, I also don't understand. And here's what it sounded like too from the different distributors is like it started out you were getting good stuff. Like you were getting fun prints, cute daisies, you know, leopard print, whatever, like fun, cute th- pizzas, whatever. And then it seems like my mind was blown by the woman who used to work for the company. There's a woman who used to work for the company doing design. She went to design school and she was tasked with two other people, three people total, turning out 1000 designs a day. So I did the math on that. That means each person would have to do like 42 designs an hour. And like, that's like almost, that's like less than two minutes per design that they're creating like what the hell and she was just saying it's ugly put a pattern upon a pattern upon a pattern whatever just submit it submit it submit it just to have all like that was really crazy to me to hear that like at a certain point they just started churning out bullshit just to do it yeah i mean they just i think that was like a really good uh anecdote to explain just how runaway train the business became because it was you know it went from you know having less than 100 consultants or having less than you know like yeah some i'm trying to think of the exact numbers but essentially grew like sixfold over the course of a year or so and you know within a couple of years of its founding it was worth a billion dollars and was doing all these like doing so much in retail sales and it just kind of exploded. And I think maybe the problem was that it got way oversaturated mm-hmm. and, you know, they just started growing, 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 which is like, you know, happens to a lot of companies. Um, and, you know, we're just turning out so many patterns. It's like, you know, you can't, you can't make everyone a unicorn. So. No. But that is interesting because, like you said, it's something that does happen to other companies, obviously not just MLMs. And I do wonder how LuLaRoe would have turned out if they had maybe more carefully, like, evolved their design. Like, you know what? I I just I, I do. I am curious and think what would happen if they invested in quality designers to keep it sounds like at the beginning they had a quality product what if they had kept creating a quality product with interesting fun patterns and new iterations to keep up with trends what would where would it have gone because instead it seems like the product got cheaper i mean some people were showing that they had whole holes in their butt after one wear and then just more fast uh lazy designing and all of that that was there was a part of the documentary that was hilarious we're showing people with all these crazy patterns where it looked like there was like dicks protruding from like the crotch <laughs> area because of just like poor design like just absolutely thoughtless mm-hmm. production um i don't know like i i wonder i wonder what might have might have happened to LuLaRoe otherwise it's interesting to think about yeah, I mean- it, it is really interesting because I feel like this story is pretty multifaceted in many ways, because when you talk about it from a business perspective, like, yeah, it sounds like the WeWork documentary or something too, you know, you can right, compare right. To so many other things of these like startups that kind of spiral out of control. Um, but yeah, I mean, 
I, I think it really just burned super, super hot. And, um, you know, a lot of people who have worked there have said or alleged that, you know, the, the company was just kind of a runaway train at, at a certain point. Well, and things got really out of hand and a bit scandalous where at one point people were getting actual wet packages, like the clothes were wet. The moldy they packages. Were moldy. I listened to one podcast where a woman <sighs> opened up her box, the first box she ever got, and she was throwing up and having migraines that she thought she had gotten food poisoning. No, she was getting mold poisoning from moldy leggings inside the box. Oh, my gosh. Because these th- because their manufacturing spun out of hand where they had to they were leaving inventory outside where it was getting dewy and wet and just sitting all packed in on each other. And then it was getting moldy. Apparently someone said that they worked there and it was her and her husband's job to go out to the crates where they were storing inventory and pull out dead rats and possums that weren't able to escape from the crates. Oh, who knows if that's no. true, but what the hell? That- yeah. One of the women I interviewed for um, my big literal piece that I did said that she had experienced that and then a friend of hers who also worked at um at LuLaRoe uh her kids started getting like <gasps> sorry all these like uh like nothing major but like respiratory symptoms and she said she just felt so bad because she had kind of talked her friend into joining and then her friend is like um I think there's mold on these clothes. My kid is sneezing. Like, what is going on? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> wow. That is just wild to me. So then at some point, and basically, just to break it down for people. Oh, and by the way, when the pants really stunk, um, LuLaRoe headquarters suggested that people put their, their clothes in the freezer to stop the smell. That was the <laughs> that was their advice. Just put them in the freezer. The cold will kill off the scent and just sell them at a discount. That was like their that was their advice because you had to stay positive yeah. in, the, in in the in the culture. I thought that was such an interesting part of the documentary too, which again is something that uh, having grown up around a lot of people who were participant participants and continued some to participate in MLMs, it's always much very much this positive the, this toxic positivity culture where it's like you can't let anybody see you sweat like you have to present a certain way all the time always succeeding always that it was well. so interesting when in the documentary documentary they were talking about hey like here we have you know maybe problems with the product and the founders of the the company are saying don't address the problems with the product block the trolls <laughs> And again, it's like, again, if you parallel this with any other company, it's like when you have a company and your product is deficient in some way and you just go block the trolls and ignore it and delete the reviews, you're like, no, that's just not how you that's just not how you can operate with a company. No, but it's the way they were able to get away with it. Also, like just there, I thought it was interesting that the documentary also highlighted cheap manufacturing too where it was like there we talked about this briefly on an episode last week talking about how somebody is paying the cost for the for the for the cheap clothes you're you're getting right like it was mind-blowing to watch deanne the founder doing a little selfie video in the factory being like and we that was so upsetting 
It's ridiculous. There, she's like, well, and we're just letting these people do their thing the way they do it in their country. All these little workers, you know, very happy. And she's literally in a sweatshop, I like vide- videotaping that. herself, being like, you know, and we just that's how they do it here in their country, and they're all very, very happy, and they all love their job. I was like, oh my that's god, not a good look. It's not a good look. <laughs> oh, that was so upsetting. <laughs> not a good look at all. Um, but then, okay, so what happened with the lawsuit, though? Uh, there's actually multiple lawsuits. Um, Surprise. I would say probably the biggest one um, is LuLaRoe is engaged in a legal battle with their old supplier. So the person who or the company who um, handled all the manufacturing side of their of their business. And that lawsuit actually is still pending it's been pending in the courts for literally years i think almost five years at this point uh i think it is eventually going to go to trial maybe sometime later this year um but that's going to be an interesting one to watch because um they are lularo countersued them for a billion dollars and there's a lot of crazy allegations floating around um and then there's still some um former consultants who are trying to, um, you know, bring LuLaRoe to task for what they say um, was bad business models. Those are still pending. Um, the The lawsuit about the, from the customers was um, settled earlier. I think, yeah, late last year, earlier this year. Um, but there's still, there's still a couple floating around in the court. So, the interesting thing about LuLaRoe is that the story is very much not over. I think I started writing about them in 2017 and I kind of thought eventually the company would go bust or right. we would get resolution to these lawsuits or something would happen. Um, but it is very much still kicking and there really hasn't been, um, you know, anything that has crippled the company um, in a way where they would have to shut down or anything. They what? did settle with the attorney general in Washington last year. Um, they had the attorney general of Subaru the row and said that they were a pyramid scheme and they settled, uh, for a pretty significant amount. Um, so people in Washington state are getting damages if they work for the row. Um, but yeah, Lula is still kicking and why are, are still selling it. Um, and, yeah, as part of the research for the documentary, I went and observed um, their top sellers conference in Mexico last year, and it's still very much a thing. Um, so that is that's interesting because, frankly, when I first started covering it, and there were just so many lawsuits against them, um, especially the one from Washington State, I, I assumed that eventually it would um, go out of business or be restructured in some way like sure about all these other companies but um no so two questions one can you explain then what happened when there was the lawsuit then saying you know this is a pyramid scheme what what lula lula did differently to shift to then make it legal for them to continue on with the company um and then also my second question would be when you're interacting with some of their top sellers post this lawsuit, what, how do they then square it away maybe in conversation? 
I I could be wrong, but doesn't it? Didn't the the all they have to basically do is put a income disclaimer like on their website? So like yeah, I think they, that was that yeah, was the only so, thing they were getting sued for. Yeah, um, yeah. They, I mean, they had to pay a significant amount of damages. Um, okay. In as part of the settlement, and uh, yeah, they have to do a lot of disclaimers. Even on in their Instagram posts, you'll see some of the retailers who still work for them will put income disclosures on Instagram posts. Um, okay. Well, yeah, because I believe like, and I've actually seen that with other. There's an influencer I follow who sells Arbon, and she does the same thing. I'm like, you go to the website to see to look at payout, like uh, typical to to to, look, to go see what typical compensation looks like in the company. Okay. But I but I believe that's what Lularoe was getting sued for, right? It was like not necessarily because. I think that they're just technically not a pyramid scheme in terms of like the FTC. We talked about this a little bit last week because it is, they do not primarily focus on recruitment. They primarily do focus on the product, which I feel like LuLaRoe definitely checks that box. But it was the problem was that they were making claims that people were going to make certain amounts of money with LuLaRoe. That was the legal issue. I mean, from a more macro perspective, um, the laws surrounding uh, direct sales or multi-level marketing is extremely, are extremely opaque and there mm-hmm. is not very strict laws. And so all of these companies are kind of always towing the edge of legality. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's why you see, um, you know, some of these companies kind of get into trouble and then they have to put all these things on. But like, right. there is not, there aren't very strict laws against this kind of uh, business model. And it's interesting because there's there's been movements over the past like sixty years to do so, but it's just not something that's been really taken seriously on a federal or state level. So, um, yeah, it's kind of like one of those things where if you operate in a gray area, you can kind of get away with certain things. Mm. Or it kind of depends. Um, mm. It's a really good podcast called The Dream. I don't know if you've heard about it. Yes. Um, and season one, she focuses on MLMs and kind of goes into the backstory of how they're able to operate and how there is just like not a lot of, there's just like a lot of legal gray area surrounding them. So I think if people mm. are just highly recommend uh, listening to that. But in terms of um, the people who still work for LuLaRoe, mm-hmm. no, it's really interesting. Um, I will say that when I went to their conference, I believe it was short. There were, there was a, there was a documentary that I worked on and there was another one that came out and I believe it was before either of them came out. So I'd be curious if anyone really changed their mind. I haven't really. Interesting. Um, but um, I think a lot of people hear things in the media and read things on the news and then they look at their lived experience and they say well I'm going to rely on my lived experience and Mm. I'm not attention to these things happening to other people that people are saying and I think that's the only way that really explains it because I think the general sense that I've gotten is yeah I know that people have said these things and I know that um you know there have been all these allegations, but from my perspective, things are great. So right. um, I'm going to focus on that. Yeah. I don't really know what to make of that. Right. <laughs> um, 
I do think that LuLaRoe is a lot smaller now. Um, so it's possible that the big dramatic stories where people were, um, you know, spending so much money mm-hmm. and getting in, maybe there's less of that. But I mean, I think, you know, I don't know. I think it's just a matter of lived experience versus sure. able to shut out the negative publicity. I don't really know. But again, I, I would love to hear now that LuLaRoe is kind of like a, hot topic in the news i would love to hear what people have to say well right. i wonder if some people are still just stuck with inventory too and that's part of why they're still involved right. like and you know having maybe they still have some downlines and they're like i f- fuck i gotta sell three thousand units of this or whatever that's taking up my garage which by the way kind of just to break that down for people it was something i didn't understand before walking watching the documentary basically because these boxes are random Let's say you sell 70% of your box. You don't sell the other 30%. Okay, you might be turning a profit. You might not. Sometimes people are breaking even with a box. But then they're like, okay, I need another box to get more inventory. And especially as time was going on and people are getting shittier and shittier, shittier like inventory, then it was like, okay, well, hopefully the next box, I'm going to get some good patterns so I can move product. Or, you know, you're getting stuck with all these odd, odds and no patterns. Then you're like, okay, exactly. Hope, hopefully the next one will be better. Whatever. You're so encouraged, like buy a box, buy a box that even if you are selling like 50 to 60% of the bo- each box that you get, you're going to buy another one to sell more. And then eventually all of that unsold stock is going to pile up. And especially as the company kept going and it seemed like the prints were getting worse, the quality was getting worse. All these things were just getting cheaper and, and, and worse with time. Then people were so deeply entrenched financially, I think. And I think this happens all the time to people, not just in MLMs, but like in other businesses where it's like, all right, well, maybe if I can just dig myself a little deeper to get myself out, right? Mm -hmm. Like maybe if I can borrow more money to buy more of this so then I can turn enough profit to make up for this loss. It's sort of like there's some cognitive dissonance, I think, where like people I think denial is really, really strong too. Where like, who wants to admit that they got duped and that they just got their whole family into financial crisis? Yeah. So you just end up going deeper into the hole. Yeah. yeah, definitely. And I think that that's where the gambling analogy really is apt because I, from what people have told me over the years, it was pretty rare to be able to sell every single piece of clothing you got out of every box. And like you said, like people have said that they were really encouraged to just buy a lot of products, not just to get the newest drops, but also because they were told over and over again, like you're a business owner, you own your own boutique. And like people, if they walk into a boutique and you only have size medium, like that's not a very good boutique. You know? Yeah. Um, so it looks better when you walk into the Yurlula row room and you have your rolling yeah. racks and they're all full. Cause then it looks like yeah. a legitimate store. Right. Exactly. And, you know, the more sizes you have, the more people you can cater right. to. Um, and so I think you're exactly right that people, there's like a sunk cost fallacy going on where, you know, even if you're selling 80% of the boxes and you are turning a profit, you're, yeah, you're still losing money on everything you don't sell. And then if you kind of, swing in the opposite direction and start to just start hemorrhaging money because you just keep buying things and not being able to sell them. Then it's kind of like a gambling mentality almost of like, 
well, if I just get that one box that has everything I could ever need, then I'll be saved, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, at that point, you're in so deep that you're just kind of screwed. Well, and psychology is really strong. I mean, you can even watch it on a show. Like, remember when everyone was watching Deal or No Deal? And it would be like, okay, if you pull out now, like, you can still make some money, right? But, like, what's everyone's inert desire? What do the majority of people do? Like, no deal. I'm going to keep going to see if I can make more money. Which, like, I think is also a problem. Gray and I were just watching a documentary on the Dust Bowl. And, like, part of what happened is there were these crops that were booming so and making a lot of money. So then all the farmers said, well, I'm going to buy this crop now because this crop is going to make me a lot of money. So then at the next next market year or season or whatever, everyone's selling corn. How are you going to make turn a profit on corn if everybody is selling corn, right? Like, and then that's kind of what caused all of this eventual like market crash, whatever, like, ecological disaster and it's kind of a very similar thing too is like when you see something hot everyone wants in on it it's the same thing with crypto now like it just happens in all these different areas of like popular business Mm -hmm. where you're just like oh my god i see all these people succeeding like i'm gonna do that too and so are all these millions of other people and like someone's gonna lose out at a certain point yeah absolutely okay so what this is a question we got asked in a few different ways do you have any particular advice? I don't have any. People ask, how would you talk to someone? How could you try to reach out to someone who is caught up in an MLM? Do you guys have any insight on that? I was like, oh God, I don't even know. I think that's really hard because I don't know. I don't personally have anyone that I'm super close to who has uh, ever joined an MLM. Um, but I think with like this kind of situation in general, like just being like a sounding board and letting them know that they can talk to you about anything. And then hopefully they can come to you and be like having a lot of struggle with my business. And then you can kind of push them and be like, tell me about that. Well, have you read this? Well, have you read that? Um, but I don't know if that's, that's a great approach. I don't know because it's like a lot of times that people tell me, is these MLMs not only become such a big part of your business financial life, but they become a huge part of your social life as well. Um, And, you know, when you're on your computer all day, talking to your LuLaRoe friends, um, in LuLaRoe parties, in chats, um, it can be really hard to see outside of that and see, you know, maybe some of the red flags that other people would see. Yeah, that's I feel like that's such a, that's a very hard question because of just like what we've talked about in this episode, what you see in the documentary and also in our, our last episode when we talked about MLMs. It's like because the participants, the verbiage that's used is very much like people are going to try to discourage you and tell you that what you're doing. And I think in my opinion, this is potentially the most insidious part of, of MLMs is that like they're preparing you to they're preparing people that like people are going to warn you against this and you should cut them out of your lives. Like they're, you know, they're jealous of your lifestyle. They just don't understand and all that verbiage. So it's hard to be a friend and kind of come in because all of a sudden then the people go, Oh, they told me this was going to happen. 
I guess I, kind of jumping off of what you were saying, I guess it would be the same thing with a cult or an MLM where like you have to let the person know that you're there for them no matter yeah. what. Right. Yeah. Because I feel like a big part of leaving a cult or leaving an MLM, if you're really involved, is the isolation factor from this community that has become such a big part of your life. And also, I think another reason people are scared to to talk about it or to stop because there's also you got to admit that you were like the dumbass who got yourself in this mess. Right. Or that's how people perceive it or what they're afraid of. So I feel like becoming a safe space for that person to yeah. let them know, like, no matter what, you're not going to judge them. You're there for them. Uh, I feel like that's all you could do. Yeah, I guess that that. Yeah, that makes sense. Maybe even like before they can even before then they can even like um clock this you can say like as a prerequisite just be like hey like i know you just got involved in this if they invite you to whatever it's like hey i know you just got involved in this and i know probably what the company is telling you is that like you know anyone who doesn't want to participate or who isn't into it um is you know going to try to persuade you out of it or you know they just are jealous of your lifestyle like and almost say like give them the speech that they're uh -huh. being heard and be like i just want to let you know like i love you like i'm going to be your friend regardless like you know i have my own opinions about it but i want to keep our relationship you know yeah it, this means more to me than whatever and yeah kind of give a prerequisite before they can be like oh they said you'd say that or you'd be like i know they're gonna tell you this but i just want to let you know that i'm gonna be your friend regardless or make a fake mlm and then convince them <laughs> to switch to your fake mlm and then when they switch to yours you say psych that was just a plan to get you out of lularoe or <laughs> here's Amway. all your money back yeah here's all your money back <laughs> exactly there you go that's yeah that's, good it friend. is a really tough one it <laughs> is a it's a that's a really tough question because i know for myself personally i'm like i don't have an answer because i would have done that in the past <laughs> because i have lost friendships um because of people joining mlms Crazy. and us not you know participating in Crazy. it um, uh, well, yeah. Stephanie, thanks so much for joining us for Thank this conversation. You. Yes. Do you want to plug where people can see your writing and everything you do? Yeah, I post a lot on Instagram at Stephanie McNeil, or you can just Google my name. She's plus, a good plus. follow. She, you're, you're always posting articles where I'm like, I am so interested in that, and I'm very Love. curious. <laughs> but I try, I try to share all the crazy stuff. I read with other people who might be interested. <laughs> yep. Love it. Love it. I love it. So, well, follow Stephanie and make sure you watch the rise and fall of LuLaRoe. It's a fantastic watch. Um, and we'll chat soon, Brods. Chat soon. <laughs>